Hey everyone, it's Steven here this week, and this episode of On a Water Break is a very special episode of our podcast. In this episode, we're remembering the life of our beloved co-host, Tom Shearer. Tom passed away on November 14th, 2023, following a long battle with cancer. All of us here on the show, we were heartbroken to hear the news, but ultimately we knew that Tom's involvement with our podcast was just one thing on a long list of amazing projects, endeavors, ensembles that Tom was a part of. And although Tom made a huge impact on each of us just through his involvement in the show, he made an even larger impact in the lives of those that he knew and loved over the years. So to best remember the life of Tom Shearer, we've asked some of his closest friends and mentors throughout his lifetime to come onto the program and share some of their favorite memories of Tom. On the sidelines this week, we are joined by one of Tom's first and most impactful drum instructors, Chris Dufault, alongside some of his closest friends throughout his lifetime, Keith McGillivary, Chris Carrera, and David Landers. Uh, Chris Dufault, could you introduce yourself and get us started? I live in Florida right now, Jacksonville, Florida, but I lived up in Massachusetts forever until two years ago, and I taught the Nashua Spartans forever. And that's where I met Tom. Tom came over to us from another New Hampshire drum corps called the Granite State Garrison. Uh, him and a couple of his buddies came over with us. Don't even ask me the years. He, Chris and <laughs> know better than I do. But uh, yeah, Tom was a fine young player at a young age. I mean, yeah, I, I know you said don't ask the years, but do you maybe have a decade or something in mind when, <laughs> when that was when you met Tom? 90s? It, it, it would actually be uh, 1990 they, yeah, they joined because uh, I joined in 91. So wow. was he, he there before you? He must have. So yeah, yeah. 1991. Yeah, he, there, he was 90 and I was 91. Yep, he before me. Uh, let's let's keep getting around the horn here because uh, you're right. That is very early. That would <laughs> How old do you think Tom was at that point? Um, 11, I think is when he said he started. No, when he was at the Granite State Garrison, maybe 11. He was probably in the 15, 16 range. Just about 16. Okay. Yeah, about 16. Yeah, because okay. he wasn't the driver, but then I think eventually he was able to drive. So let's give it 16. 16. 16 in marching drum corps. That's amazing, especially if he was doing uh, stuff since he was 11 at another ensemble. That's, that was way sooner than I got into it. Um, right, who, that's, uh, that's when I started playing. Just That's when I started beginning band. Oh, wow. He was 11. I started to... Uh, just dip my toes in it maybe by the time I was like 13, but keep working our way around the horn here, I guess. Um, did anyone else kind of meet Tom while he was marching or or did you guys meet him later on? I, I met Tom actually with uh, Chris Dufault. I joined the Spartans in 1991. So I got to meet both Chris Dufault and Tom the fall of 1990. Um, and that's the start of a very odd relationship back then, but it was a <laughs> lot to learn. Um, from the good side, the bad side, the ugly side, and there's a whole lot of fun in between. I could imagine. So, and do you, could you also maybe introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background, Keith? Yeah, my name is Keith McGillivary. I'm up in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, I'm our Trump co with Tom. Um, I'm, I'm, I didn't know this. So recently, I'm actually Tom's age. He's like a month and a half older than me. I thought I thought he was two years older than me, and then all of a sudden I realized that we're all the same age. Uh, so that was, that was something new to learn. Uh, and I, I met Chris at the same time. Chris was my instructor for a bunch of years and a mentor. I think in some ways always will be a mentor. So I, I appreciate that, Mr. Dufault, <clears throat> as I'm sure Tom felt the exact same way. Chris Correa, you'd be up next, right? Yeah. So uh, my name is Chris Correa, and uh, 
I'm the uh, I'm the little brother out of the, uh, this little group here. Um, not so little anymore, but uh, so I grew in the East Coast, and okay, this will kind of paint a picture too, because Keith was in another drum corps prior to the Spartans, um, as was Tom, uh, as was I. So I was in a few different drum corps, and Tom Shearer had. A bit of a reputation, not not for any bad reasons, but like Tom had a swagger about him. He was a section leader of mm-hmm. the Spartans when I was uh, coming along. Um, I was in the uh, satellites of uh, Worcester and Buccaneers and Lowell, Massachusetts. And uh, by the time I got to Spartans, Tom was in the Boston Crusaders. Um, knew about him. Um, in fact, I think the first time we officially met, I accidentally kicked his drum at individuals in 1995 in the hallway. Um, <laughs> and uh, then uh, about a half a year later, we started hanging out and we became very, very fast friends. And uh, we taught many high schools together, <laughs> Plymouth, Massachusetts, uh, Salem, New Hampshire. Um, what, year, what, what years were those, Chris? Uh, let me see. So a, a Plymouth, Massachusetts started in 96. That's a funny story because Tom actually came to my house because he knew I had drumsticks and he needed drumsticks um, to resupply his line. And I said, well, let me tag along. And letting me tag along began my teaching career. Um, so 96 through 99, we're at Plymouth, Mass. Um, we did a few things in between then, but more significantly, we we went together to Salem, New Hampshire, um, high school, uh, in 2002, that was their first year going to WGI. Uh, I think they were 25th and the following year, um, by Tom's leadership, uh, they ended up getting the silver medal in Scholastic A wow. at WGI. Um, so then Tom went and moved to, uh, California, um, joined the renegades. Uh, and then, uh, that was Oh five. 06, I went out, I drummed in the Renegades, and somehow a couple years later, he and I were hired as the co-caption heads of the Renegades percussion <laughs> uh, section there. Um, I can't be so. Good. Yeah, no, it, it, you know what? We 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 had a blast. And, uh, you know, I think uh, with the Renegades, uh, that's where I'll leave it to uh, Mr. Landers. <laughs> uh so okay so uh going over to me i'm i'm david landers um i, I suppose i am the uh yeah the the uh the final chapter of tom's book or the last i don't know two three chapters of tom's book uh so i first met tom um i mean he i i was in the renegades in uh we shared some years there but didn't have much interaction he was percussion i was a uh, um, playing baritone and on, on brass staff and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, but I didn't actually, I guess, formally meet Tom until probably after our finals performance at DCA, um, in Rochester, it was either 08 or 2010. I kind of, I kind of think it was, Oh wait, but I, I don't remember anyway. Uh, what, what, it wouldn't have been 2010, right? Chris, was he there in 2010? No, it would have had to have been 08. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> it was after the finals performance. We had all gone back to the, you know, to our cars and changed out, and and um, and you know, so many of us because it is after finals or uh, are already carrying around a couple of beers and and you know, uh, more than a few 
bowls have been passed around and, and I'm walking uh, down the street with, I don't know, Joe Wilt and uh, maybe Tony Signorelli, God knows, who knows? And, uh, or maybe Hubbard, it might've been Hubbard. And, uh, and somebody in the group saw Tom and a couple other people standing over behind a, uh, uh, a little warehouse thing. Um, it's all a hazy memory at this point because of all the uh, <laughs> inebriates involved. But uh, that's our first time sort of chatting. But then he moved to, uh, I, I live in San Luis Obispo County, California, uh, and I teach at Templeton High School, where I've been, I've been here since 2002. Uh, Tom moved to the area in, I think, 2010. And then uh, he uh, came along with Zach in 2011. Uh, we didn't have a marching band in 2010. It was, um, had, that was a hiatus year of the marching band, but 2011, uh, we brought it back and, and Tom came on as staff that year and he's been on staff ever since. Um, you know, and in that time he has uh, uh, brought a child into this world. Um, he was married and divorced. Uh, he, uh, worked at a few different jobs, lived at a few different places, um, uh, smoked more than probably 700 pounds of weed. Uh, <laughs> 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 maybe well, not quite that much. No, that, that's, that's, that, that's, maybe, that's maybe that's too much. But anyway, uh, probably about five, six years ago or so, we just we started hanging out a little more together. Um, and just started becoming uh, closer friends. Um, and then when he got the, the cancer diagnosis, um, and at the time, I don't remember, I guess Zoe wasn't, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but then, then anyway, just to sort of wrap up my connection with him, then I, I've basically been with him through, uh, through the last, it was four years ago, last month that he got his diagnosis. Um, and uh and so I, i've been you know with him and and uh, uh i like to say that uh I'll, I'll take a little credit for hopefully adding at least a year to his life so i guess i maybe uh am the last chapter here or the addendum at the back of the book um, okay <laughs> the addendum at the end here um uh, my time in knowing tom it, it, it's almost crazy to me to think that this whole entire time he was battling with cancer because i was unaware of that um so the only way that i knew tom was just through these podcast episodes which it actually it, it turns into a really interesting thing when you block off time each week where you're just going to sit down and talk to someone um because I, I actually don't tend to have many like long form conversations with most of the people i interact with in life but i, I had a couple very many good recorded conversations with Tom over the last year. And something that always like strikes me as astounding um, now is just like the positive energy that he always brought into every single interaction that we had on the show. I didn't even know he was sick. He didn't give any impression of that. And I don't, I, I think that that's a testament to the, uh, the spirit that he had inside of him. Um, one thing that we thought was really amazing was uh, Tom actually had reached out to Jeremy at some point and just talked about how despite, you know, everything else that had been going on with him, maybe outside of the show, just that 
he really enjoyed getting to come on and kind of ha- hash out a lot of these band conversations because deep down he's just he's just a band guy and and this was what he was passionate about and what he loved um so there's such a longer story to tom which is what i'm excited that you guys are all able to uh come on to the show today to share with me and to share with our audience um but i feel touched just in my um smaller and and shorter interactions that i've gotten to have with him uh does anyone maybe have any any stories i think it would be fun to get really back farther back to to younger tom for a little bit since uh Mm-hmm. And I haven't gotten to hear a lot about Tom from back then, but any volunteers? I'll, I'll go out there with one since Chris Correa looked like he was going to, but then didn't open his mouth and sailing. Well, you know, it's that old uh, mute button and realizing I'm not hooked up to my computer uh, keyboard. And yeah, it was an extra reach. <laughs> uh, I'll actually back to uh, 1993. I'd known Tom for about two years at this point. The first year, I didn't get that same positive energy everybody else got. I had me and Tom kind of butted heads a lot for the first year. And we we mm. didn't always see eye to eye and didn't always get along. But we always had, I think, a mutual respect for each other. And then by 93, we had started to build a, a relationship from that. And it was it was pretty awesome. So 1993, we're marching in the Spartan with Chris Dufault. And um, they gave us this new drill instructor to help us out. And we're all outfield. We used to practice at the Bud Plant. And uh, Merrimack, New Hampshire, and the new the new drill guy had to earn his stripes. So he had bought his new new Bruins hat. He's very proud of his Bruins hat. And he walks out in the field. He's got guys. I got my new Bruins hat. And quicker than he went by Tom, Tom thief that hat off his head in the middle of a drill <laughs> practice, and it tossed it over his head to somebody else in the line. And it's I need my hat back. Give me my hat back. I want my hat back. And the hat's getting passed around until finally Chris Dufault walks by with his famous briefcase. The hat lands in the briefcase and Chris leaves rehearsal and goes home. And this instructor stops rehearsal, goes to the booth as they stole my hat. I want my hat back. And Tom goes, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't have a hat. And Chris had been gone for like a half hour. The hat was gone. And I don't know when the hat came back, but that, that was a, it was a pretty funny that Tom did that. I never knew his hands were so fast. Until that hat was off his head, and like passed about five people down in the middle of a rehearsal. So that was a that was a that was a fun time. Um, and then uh, one of the times before that, uh, we used to sleep hall, but we were all underage. We couldn't stay at the hall during bingo because it was legally gambling. And um, hmm. may or may not have got ourselves locked out of the hall, um, so we had to break back into the hall so we could sleep. So we broke into the hall at about two o'clock in the morning, not realizing we were going to set the alarms off. So we're all sleeping. <laughs> and that's when the police showed up with, you know, flashlights and six kids sleeping on the floor and sleeping bags in the middle of a bingo hall. So that was, that was a fun time back in 91. And I didn't think Tom could break into a door, but he, he could do that too. That was a talent he had that I don't think I knew we had at the time. So those, those are some uh, early fun times that we did have. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it sounds like young Tom, he was a bit of a joker, had a lot of energy, uh, was uh, getting into some hijinks. Maybe Chris Dufault, what do you think uh, was your first impression of Tom back then? Oh, first impression, when Tom came over from the garrison and everything, and all those guys were playing, <laughs> he was actually pretty good, and he's the one I wanted, so it worked <laughs> out pretty well. But when Chris Correa, <laughs> at the beginning of the uh 
meeting here said it might be more of a roasting than anything. I think Keith is hitting it right on the head. My best memory of Tom, <laughs> kind of like Keith, may not be positive, may or maybe, because it's with <laughs> Tom and his mother. <laughs> we had a Labor Day parade in Marlboro, Mass. And for some reason, we were kind of at the end of the parade instead of the beginning of the parade. So everything ran late and da-da-da-da. And at the end of the parade, you know, I was kind of like the assistant manager at the time and said, oh, this is what time the, the buses are rolling. And that's what we do. I didn't do head counts or anything like that. It's like, you know, the kids were big enough and old enough. They should know how to get on a bus at a certain time. So that time came and we left and we get back to Nashville. It's not that far away, 45 minutes and Tom's not on the bus. And his mother met me. <laughs> she was ready to go. Tom went to McDonald's because he was hungry. <laughs> well, the rest of the bus was rolling. I've Tom and I his... get along really well after that. I've heard his end of that story so many I times. I bet you did. Because his mother came at me and said, Mrs. Shera, how old is Tom? And I think she said 17. And I said, enough said. We should have listened to directions by now. And we get along really well after that, me and Mrs. Shera. But yeah, Tom uh, had to keep track of that young man sometimes. <laughs> What was his side of the story? <laughs> just coming out and there being no bus. <laughs> that maybe was his entrance to the Boston Crusades because the fifth base named Fridge gave him a ride back to uh, Nashville. So it's probably, all comes full circle, you know? Uh, recruitment uh, started. <laughs> yeah, the rebel. But it was a good lesson for him. Yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. He, uh, he definitely sounds like he was uh he was getting into some trouble, maybe a little bit here and there. Yeah, a little bit stuff. of a troublemaker in his young years. Um but uh it definitely is my understanding that as Tom got older, uh, he really became quite an educator. Um and was responsible for some creating some really great drum lines that also always kind of coincides with making a big impact in the lives of your students. What was it like maybe teaching with Tom? I'm sure Chris uh, Korea really could probably speak a lot to that, right? Yes, I can. Uh, Tom and I not only like taught with each other, we were, you know, for everything that we did together, we were uh, musical partners. Um, and with that, there, there's, you know, the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, there's a lot of laughter. So you have to understand like Tom and I, not only did we, when we taught together, we also positioned ourselves to work together outside of the realm um, of education. So when I was in high school and I was, you know, teaching, you know, drum lines with him, um, we worked at Office Max together. So we'd be scheming all day long <laughs> before rehearsal. So like we'd be like sneaking out of work and drumming stuff out, out like in the back of the car um you know and you know our boss would find us you know get back blah 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 but like teaching with tom like in the in in that all that stuff that we did in preparation like it was like i never worked with somebody that was more specific to his idea and that was that always came through and like i always i was always you know, in many ways, and it went one way or another, you know, we worked as like goofus and gallant sometimes like from the old highlights magazine, um, where he'd be 
kind of <laughs> going astray and I'd be, you know, do the right thing and, you know, vice versa. When I go astray, he'd, you know, get me right. But uh, when it came time to being in front of whoever it was and our students, you know, they, they were high school students, they were drum corps, they were adults, you know, so it spanned different generations. And like Tom always had a very clear idea of what he wanted to get done. And um, the, I told you I was going to get back to 2003 for a second. And I guess now is a good time for that. Where, uh, yeah, we Salem got second in Scholastic A at the end of the season um, at WGI. But it didn't start off that way. We were, <laughs> after the first year, Tom was pretty bold. I'm sure you all got that on the podcast. Like, Tom's like... <laughs> And so our second year out, Tom signed the group up for Scholastic Open Class in WGI and wrote a crazy book. It started off with uh, Tools, The Grudge, and the end of the show was Master of Puppets. And mm -hmm. that Master of Puppets being at, you know, 190 plus. We did a few shows. It was chock full of notes. We had a really young line. And... Uh, this is the kind of the key of Tom. You know, some people on the right now might be shocked when I say this, but Tom showed a great amount of humility. It was about our fourth or fifth, maybe fourth show of the season. And, you know, we know our local judges well, and the, these are good names to drop, but uh, we had Peter Finari uh, doing uh, Music GE and Neil Larravee doing performance. And it was our time to go into critique after the show, and they're like, shut the door. So we sat down, we're like, all right. <laughs> and they're like, and this was the cool part is that they're like, you guys have lightning in a bottle here, but you need to figure out a lot of stuff. And so that was a Saturday show. And they, they said a lot more things, but it was one of those, if Tom was the guy in charge and like, if he was somebody that was really like ego driven, he would have left there and been like, you know, screw this kind of thing. He and I got in the car because we, again, we did everything together. We were, we drove back to New Hampshire from the show already scheming. What can we do to this show? We ended up flipping it upside down. So it started with master of puppets ended with the garage. We added all this uh, kind of like other like layers. He cut probably a good 75% of the beats. And I was and at the time um, I was very much into the doors and uh he was like, he was like, Korea, write some of your words, man. Like, just write a poem for the show. So I wrote a poem and we kind of like peppered that in throughout the show. And it took all of a week because we're, again, as plan as prepared Tom was, we uh, was as maniacal as he was with a drum line. And like within a week, we had the show retaught and went on the floor and just started kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of just dominating locally. And then, you know, we we would have been victorious if we we thought we were going to be like 12th, you know, like a finalist, but like, all right, we're going to be, you know, at the back end of it. And when the rounds went on that week and we we're kind of doing the math, and we're like, all right, all right, we can end up like eighth, maybe fifth if we're lucky. So when it all kind of came to like the silver medal, it was like, cool, we got to that placement, but it was more like, wow, that work paid off. And, yeah. you know, and again, if Tom didn't 
kind of like take his humble pie, you know, at that back to that critique, you know, the whole season could have been different. And it would have been, I think it would have ended as a frustrating season. And also, I don't think the program would have thrived and been able to grow the way it did after that. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's a cool story. Not not a hijink story. Trust me, I have many of those. But, uh, yeah, um, just something where, you know, Tom, as an educator, you know, he knew when to listen. Um, and he knew how to bring the best out of his students and his staffs. So, um uh, that's where I'll leave that one. No, I, I really like that story because it speaks to something that I think comes through when we would talk to him, which is that uh, Tom's very open and he was very, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that he was the type of guy to be like uh, rude or stuck in his ways or something like that. Um, he always seemed to really care about what everyone else was saying in the conversation, which I think is is real directly applicable down to being open to hearing what judges have to say, seeing his own faults in the design and uh, working all that to, to really make the best product that he could here. Um, so Dave, it seems that you knew Tom a little bit later than the rest of the folks in this call besides myself. Is there anything that anyone else has described about Tom where you're like, well, I think the Tom I knew was a little different than that, or I think... <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it's, uh, he was, he was still, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, he was still silly, but you know, there was always, uh, it was silly, but with a, with a, with a little bit of wisdom behind it, you know, um, mm -hmm. and a little bit of, you know, of life. Um, <clears throat> so we, uh, yeah, he, in probably the last, well, let's see. 2015, 2016, around in there, um, uh, with his work with with Templeton, he um, he his his creative contributions uh, started to become more you know integral to what we were uh, doing. What I was doing because it's a unique program that we have here, and I think we've talked about it before on the show, um, and um, but yeah, here in the, these last five, six years or so, um, his, uh, his creative contribution to the, to the overall development of our, of our shows has been, uh, well, I'm going to find out next year exactly what it has been because I'll be doing it without him. Uh, so that's, I, I'm, I am, uh, I have to admit, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm a little bit anxious about that because I, uh, so often just these shows would develop out of he and I just sitting around, uh, and maybe a few other people every once in a while, but mostly just him and I, uh, and just bouncing things off. And then we take, you know, a, a giant idea that Tom has, and eventually we scale it down to something that's workable and affordable, um, and, uh, and practical, but still, you know, he, he, he had these great, uh, like Chris said, you know, this way of, of examining the product and, and how can we, even into the last week of the season, he's wanting to like make big changes to the show. And I'm like, no, we just freaking learned it all. We got to just clean, you know, <laughs> he's still wanting to evolve the show. Yeah. I, I liked two big, uh, good words that you used to describe Tom throughout there, which I think were like creative and wise. Um, very creative guy, but also had the ability to get to kind of 
reflect back and, and at the very least provide a great education that I always thought that there was something that I could learn just talking to Tom about band. We are going to throw to a quick break, but we will be right back with you guys in just a moment. Unfortunately, Jackie couldn't make it to our recording today because she's incredibly busy in New York preparing for the Macy's Parade. Still, she recorded a short clip that she wanted to share with you all in memory of Tom. Jackie? How do I sum up everything I feel about Tom in just like a minute? Honestly, we've only known each other for a year. And in that year, I feel like he has become just one of the most wonderful people who I always look forward to talking to each week. He was seriously one of the most reliable people I've ever met in my life. And he had no business being that way, mind you, with everything that he was going through between his treatments and everything else. And yet it was not in his nature to ever say no to anything when you ask if it was something in his wheelhouse he would be on it i absolutely loved getting to know him through all the interviews we did together through all of the episodes that we co-hosted and i i already miss him so very much so tom if you're listening to this thank you so much for all of your dedication and thank you so much for being such a solid foundational part of what we do here at On A Water Break. Hi everyone, it's Jeremy, one of your producers from On A Water Break. And I just wanted to follow Jackie and say how amazing it has been to have had Tom be a part of our podcast. When we started this podcast just a little over a year ago, I was looking for different hosts from different genres and different parts of the marching arts. And he is somebody that reached out and said, I would love to be a part. And we had a great telephone conversation. And he told me that, you know, he was dealing with cancer and, you know, he often was in treatment and he didn't feel very well a lot of the time, but he just would love to be a part and anything that he could do to continue to be a part, he would love to do that. So we started our first um, recordings and Tom was there and we continued and Tom was there. And anytime we needed uh, somebody to jump in and do an interview, Tom was there. He became what truly is and um, will always be the heart of um, the On A Water Break podcast. And I know that he has done so much for so many other people and so many other students, so many other instructors, directors that are listening to this that he has touched his family. Um, everyone that has really cared about Tom has um, probably not only felt the heart that we have, but some of the, I guess for lack of a better word, honoriness that Tom would get into. So we love you, Tom. We will miss you, Tom. And um, I want to play one clip that we have um, that was recorded just a few weeks ago when we were doing one of our wrap-up episodes for the top 50 shows from 2023 and Tom wanted to gush about the season that we have had at on a water break. It's been awesome having a place to geek out with other geeks about this activity. Uh, the staff where I work and all that, 
you know, we've known each other for so long and we get tired of talking to each other about it. And you kind of lose like that spark a little bit here and there, just trying to clean the show constantly and educate the kids. It's, it's fun to come on here and be able to be excited about the activity again, to, to hear other people excited about the activity, young, older than me, around my age, you know, that it's, it's like we had Dan Smith on, which was such an awesome interview. The guy has seen so much from field level and continued still does. I mean, that was such a cool interview. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's my gush about uh, on the water bank. It's been just great meeting so many, so many like-minded band geeks. <laughs> All right, we're back. Um, so to wrap up this episode here, guys, I just wanted to kind of work back around the horn and, and just hear any any last thoughts anyone has, whether that's a, a story or, or just some other anecdote that they uh, they want to share about Tom. I'd love to hear what all you guys have to share. Um, I think it'd be good. Maybe we could start from uh, Chris Dufault again uh, and just work our way through Tom's life. Chris, what do you have? Sure. I said uh, earlier, I could tell him as a teenager, 16, 17 years old, fine young guy, came over from the other side of the state, the western side of the state. Uh, nice kid, came over with a group of other guys that came to a drum with us in the Spartans. Uh, did really well. He fit in really well. We were glad to have him. Kind of lost track of him, like everybody was saying, when he moved out to California and everything. But uh, kept track of his career and everything and uh, through the renegades and everything and saw all the pictures in black and the sunglasses and everything else. Got to hear tonight about where he was in the last few years and knew of his issues with the cancer thing over the last couple of years and was uh, saddened like everybody else last Saturday when the word came in of his passing. So uh, rest in peace, Tom. Rest in peace to Tom. We all agree. Um, Keith, do you want to pick up with that? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm gonna share funny and I'm gonna share something that uh, ties a lot of time together, not just music but personally. Um, one one thing that Tom enjoyed to do was to uh to get a good laugh. And every now and then he he'd yell down to the rest of us in line, say, "Hey, we're gonna do a bare ass run through." But nobody else would know <laughs> but us. And Chris, yeah. And back in the '90s, the drum line was usually in the back, so nobody would really know. We slide the drawers down a bit. And then halfway through the show, there'd be a backfield pot where we'd all turn around, the whole crew staring at us, and we're turning around, <laughs> and they all get to see the rare rent. So we always had a good chuckle out of it. So that was always fun for all of us. It happened a couple times a year, and it was always Tom's call for I have no idea why. Um, but on, on another side of Tom that not everybody realized, uh, and back to what Chris had mentioned during that critique, was Tom was an astute listener. Um, he gave great advice. I don't know if any of you guys ever called him for advice, but Teenage Keith in early 20s would call Tom with whatever problem I had and in a very short order could give really good advice just to guide you through. Now, I don't think he took his own advice back in those days, but if you were struggling with something, he was a great sounding board just to say, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? And he was really, really good about sharing a good, honest, clean thought and, and kind of could guide you through whatever it is you were trying to get through at that given time. And, and that's something that as I grew away from Tom, when he moved out West, uh, I missed immensely as I got older. Um, I truly appreciate it. And, and I appreciate him for that. So uh, Tom, I love you like a brother. See you soon. 
not too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, earlier in the show, someone mentioned, uh, or maybe it was Jeremy just off on an aside to us, but how as we're all band people and Tom's such a huge band person, uh, you can almost also look to Tom for the little bit of band person in all of us. Like you had mentioned the story about the, the bare ass run through or whatever. I can remember doing that in DCA and I can mm -hmm. remember the guy that would start it every time. Um, that, that type of spirit is uh, someone that our listeners, even if you didn't know Tom can probably relate to you all know a Tom in a sense. And uh, we're, we're sorely going to miss our Tom. Um, Chris Correa, what do you have? So I, I might take a couple minutes on this one. Um, mm -hmm. Platform is yours. And uh, part of me, because uh, yeah, it started to hit me, uh, excuse me, just a little bit. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I, I, I said it earlier how, you know, we, we started hanging out and, you know, in the marching arts, you come across these people and like, you know, kindred spirits, if you will. Um, I, I can remember the first time I went to his apartment when we started hanging out. And right when you open the door, there was a framed picture from like, it was like a 1985 Ludwig ad with Tom float and a silver dot, you know, drum head uh, for your, for your younger listeners uh, when snare lines used to play on plastic. Um, but this was from a drum corps world. So it was paper and it was in a frame. And it's the first thing you see when you walk into the apartment. And it's kind of when I was like, that's my dude. And Tom is my older brother in every sense. Um, he pushed me to be a better player, um, a leader. And, you know, that's what drove me to be bold when I, I was, I was kind of a quiet kid when I was especially first in the Spartans, um, being friends with Tom, I certainly wasn't a quiet kid anymore. And, you know, through uh, learning from Chris Dufall and wanting to impress Chris, um, I drum with Tom all the time and I, I got a lot out of it. And Tom gave me uh, a platform to teach not just when we first were together, but then he was insistent. And when he did the Renegades in 05, a bunch of us went to DCA, um, kind of his nucleus of friends. And we had, there was a picture of Tom um, back when uh, the portraits of kids and young drum corps would get it done. And he was in the Grand State Garrison playing cymbals uh, as a young 11 year old. And it was a portrait photo of him with his cymbals, proud with his uniform on. So maybe, I have that. I have that picture someplace. Well, I scanned the picture. And we made t-shirts and we showed up to DCA prelims, all of us wearing these t-shirts with 11 year old Tom and his symbols. Um, and it was great. Uh, Lee Rudnicki <laughs> thought it was the most genius thing ever. Um, and that was, and that was it. And we, then we wore those all, you know, we wore those all weekend long and they stunk to, um, yeah, I can't even tell you how bad they stunk by the end of the weekend, but and then I then Tom taught the Renegades and I was like, well, I got to go out there. And so 
it was like Tom was a catalyst. Everywhere Tom was, people gravitated toward him. Have it be young in New Hampshire, when he got older in New Hampshire, Pete, like people wanted to be around Tom. Then it kind of followed him out in California, where again, Tom was a catalyst. He drew a crowd. People loved the energy that he brought. Um, and, you know, in the chaos, sometimes that came with it. But, you know, at the the bottom, the bottom line of that was he loved this, the activity that we do. And if you were somebody else that loved the activity too, his gates were open for you and he'd give you the time and you could talk all day because there's not many of us that do this and that think about this at this level. And so it's like, you know, again, kindred spirits, like that goes in and out with life, the activity, and then your bond with the person. And in every sense of the word, Tom was my brother. And through his fight with cancer, you know, he never gave up and he did everything to stick around for another day, another minute for himself and for his kid. And that is just, it's admirable. And that's something, you know, I think one of the greatest lessons, you know, and legacies Tom's left behind is just that never give up, keep fighting until the bitter end. And uh, I love him. I, I will always miss him. And uh, yeah, love you, Tom. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. Um, I actually, at a certain point, I don't think that I really have like a lot of words that even I don't think should or deserve to to go after. Um, I think the impact that Tom made on all of you guys is is uh, enormous and, and beautiful. Um, David, do you want to wrap it up? Uh, yeah, to kind of tie in with what Chris Korea was saying there, um, he uh, yeah he did he did literally was fighting till the till the very end like within i think it was probably 16 hours or so after uh you know he had had this moment where he accepted that there was no other treatment we were talking with his oncologist um <clears throat> and the oncologist told him there is no course of treatment that i can give you that won't make you uh, worse or into more pain. Um, and, and then it was the following morning that, uh, so he just needed that, that permission to stop fighting because he was, he was willing to undergo surgery that would possibly paralyze him <laughs> just to, to stick around, you know, a, a few more days. Um, uh, so I, I, my, my hats off to him for, for that. It was, it was admirable, but also from a, from a caretaker, a person who's taking care of him in his final days, it was extremely frustrating because <laughs> it's like, we're trying to, I think everybody around him recognized that he, that it was time his, his in those last few days, he, he, he turned down pretty quick. Um, but he just was nope fuck it i'll get paralyzed let's do it 
but I, I do have a couple of stories uh, before I uh, uh, get get to that. Um, so uh, one one so Tom only in the last couple of years, two three years, has been beneath two hundred pounds for many years. Tom was well north of 200 pounds, even getting up to, I guess it was, I guess his peak was in January of 2019. So coming up on five years now, 330 pounds, um, went into the hospital with congestive heart failure, which has a five-year survival rate at best. So, uh, but good news, side note on that, uh, during the course of his cancer fight and then and he and I basically got into disc golf. I'm sure he's talked about it on the podcast a few times. Uh, but we, he, I, I used disc golf to get him out of the house and to get him moving after his first surgery where they removed most of his stomach. Um, uh, and we go out just a little bit at a time and we keep playing more. And then eventually we really got into it. Um, uh, and, and then, I don't know, probably a year or so after his, his esophagus surgery, Oh, his esophagus surgery, by the way, <laughs> or his stomach surgery, whatever, is where that's connected, was on 420 uh, of 2020. <laughs> uh, so, which he didn't realize until about a week before. Um, but uh, he, uh, um, yeah, luckily that was during COVID time. So I was able to, you know, take him to, the hospital and then able to stay with him for a, a couple for a week or so after his surgery and was able to do all my classes from his apartment. Uh, so had it not been during COVID time, I wouldn't have been able to provide the help that, that I was able to. Um, but it was, yeah, about a year later in March uh, was when uh, they poked a hole in his skull to get to a, a brain tumor. Um, and so he had a, you know, full on head bandage. Um, and uh, two weeks after brain surgery, he and I are doing a, a two-round disc golf tournament. He's still got a bandage <laughs> over the hole in his in his skull, and he's doing this. And this is a long this is a long course. And we it was a shotgun start, and we started at the very back of the course. So we basically walked this. You know, we had to walk all the way to the back of the course, do the whole course, walk all the way back for lunch, then walk all the way back out there for the second round. And oh my God, it was a lot of walking that day. Two weeks after that son of a bitch had brain surgery, I, I still can't believe he's still. You know, <laughs> it's like God, we got to do this. We can do this. And geez, actually, yeah, it was yeah. Anyway, so. Um, but yeah, that was, it was, it was crazy. Um, it's a testament to that energy that, uh, we keep kind of just referring to throughout many of the different stories, just driven, yeah. won't take no for an answer, no. but <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we all, uh, oh, anyway, where I was getting with that was he, he, he was a large guy. Um, and he loved milk, even though milk didn't love him. And he would, he would, he would fall asleep on the couch with a bowl of cereal resting on his belly. <laughs> and I'm talking about like, there's, you know, maybe a half inch left. I'm talking about just sat down from the kitchen. <laughs> Three bites, fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's really we, funny one one uh we went up to granite <laughs> bay 
Sacramento area for a, a winter drumline show back in 2015. Um, and, uh, you know, and he was in my car. Um, and and uh, I, I told him, um, uh, we went to this market or something, and, and he bought a, a whole freaking half gallon of milk to drink that night <laughs> at the hotel. <sighs> that's that's <laughs> like, great. Oh, yeah, but he, he was a mess. Uh, loved him. He was silly, but he was sometimes a mess. Um, uh, can either of the Chris's yeah. chime in? Has he always been a milk enjoyer like that? I just wanted to just interject real quick, I, and I'll let you continue, Dave, but I, I'm going to admit something to you right now. In 2017, when I picked you guys up for uh, when you came over for Allentown oh, right, yeah. at Logan Airport, Tom had got so large, I passed you guys. <laughs> I had to do a whole loop because I didn't recognize that it was Tom and I had to do a whole loop around the airport. And then if you don't remember when we got to my house and my car bottomed out at the driveway and you were like, does that usually happen? I said, never. <laughs> so, uh, I digress. It's, it's... He loved his milk and it was never 2%. It was always whole milk. <laughs> It's tragic that uh, that it took cancer to get him into the best shape of his life in the last four years of his life. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's what happened when you happens when you lose most of your stomach. Uh, <laughs> so after that surgery, yeah. Oh my God. Yep. I I do remember that, Chris. That was too much. Too much. <laughs> Well, um, I, I do have a, a story I want to I want to wrap up with. Um, just uh, just sort of it ties into everybody's, and particularly uh, Chris Korea's. Um, just talk about his his tenacity and how he just just fought to the to the very end. Um, so we had our our regional championships on uh saturday november the 11th tom passed on tuesday november the 14th um tom did not go with us to championships uh he um i i texted him in the morning and told him uh uh get coffee on the way because we're not going to stop on the drive and he said i'm in the er and long story short he wasn't in the er my wife wound up not going to championships she took him to uh uh, to, to the hospital and, and that's where he, he stayed. Uh, but we had rehearsed the, the day before that was uh, veterans day observed. And we had a, just a short two hour rehearsal that Friday morning, uh, from like 10 to 12, uh, Tom was there for that rehearsal. Um, and he was holding his stomach. He was holding his midsection, uh, you know, through most of it. And he wasn't like running around and, <laughs> yelling at kids and stuff, but he was there and he, he drove the 35 minutes from his house to, to Templeton, uh, did the two hour rehearsal, um, and, um, uh, you know, stuck around for a while. And then apparently by Friday night, he couldn't walk to his car from his apartment. Uh, he lives on the second story and he couldn't get down the stairs by himself. Um, and Zoe's only 11, so she couldn't really help him. Um, uh, and then Sunday and Monday I spent at the hospital, uh, with him and, and we had some, we had some good, good talks. Um, but it didn't occur to me until I, uh, 
uh, called Chris Correa on Tuesday morning as I was driving to the hospital uh, after I had already, because he, he passed before visiting hours. So I, I, my wife got the call, she told me, and then I headed on to the hospital. And uh, Chris was the first one I called. And um, it occurred to me as I was talking to him that the last thing that Tom did when he could do something was marching band, was teach drumming, was drum, <laughs> was to be out there for, for my kids, for his kids, uh, and to do what he, he, he literally devoted his life to. Um, he was 49 years old, started doing this crap when he was 11 years old, not crap, you know, but anyway, <laughs> he started in this, this, uh, activity. He's been, he's, so what is the math? 38 years. He's been doing this activity and, uh, and knee deep in it every single one of those years. Uh, there was never, never a year, never a season. Uh, or rarely that he wasn't doing something. Even when we didn't have a winter program here at Templeton, he was he was judging sometimes in the winter, and and he, he was always one hundred percent committed to it. He was uh, my creative partner. I'm gonna miss him like you. Well, like you can all believe because you all know him, uh, and, and we're all gonna miss him. Um, and he was he was uh, he was my best friend. Um, we, it, it's, yeah, when you go through the stuff that we've gone through the last few years, it kind of, you know, it, it changes you, it shapes you. Um, I, I do want to say that we are going to be planning a couple of memorials. Uh, we're, we're shooting for doing one here on the West coast, uh, hopefully in December. I have zero details on that right now, just that I have some people who are wanting to help out and we're just going to try and plan something. Uh, and then I know in talking with uh, 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 Tom's ex-wife, uh, Candace, Zoe's mom, that, that we, we're, we'd like to do, and Zach Hubbard had the idea as well, too, uh, to do an East Coast memorial sometime in June around Tom's birthday. Um, Chris, has anybody talked to you about that yet? Chris Correa? <laughs> no, I, Zach uh, and I talked uh, the other night. Nothing official was just kind of, you know how we go. It was just spitball yeah, yeah. ideas. And then he said, hey, just when you're sitting on the toilet, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so so there will be we, we would like to, there are going to be a couple of events. If you have uh, if you have pictures, if you have videos, if you have uh, anything that you'd like to contribute, um, uh, you can uh, send them to me. Uh, we're, we're putting up, we're setting up a GoFundMe to, uh, help with the memorials and then, uh, and any, uh, and then the, the remaining going to, uh, to directly to Zoe, uh, to benefit his daughter. Um, <clears throat> uh, so once we have that GoFundMe information, I'll, I'll, I'll let the, the producers here know, and they can, uh, add that to the, to the podcast. Uh, but you can feel free to, to Sam, is it okay if I give out my email? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. Like yeah. Yeah. Feel free to send any, uh, any pictures uh, or videos to David W Landers. That's, uh, L A N D E R S at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to have them. I'm going to try to put together something, uh, for these, for these memorials.
Well, I hope that anyone who's listening who has anything that they could contribute um, forwards them along to you, David. Um, I guess at this point, I'd just like to thank everybody for coming along and, and sharing these these wonderful memories and anecdotes about Tom. Um, I think uh, this conversation, it almost shapes... I've heard people say band is life before, and it's always been like a little a little joke or whatever. It's not something people say that seriously. But uh, for Tom, band was life in the best way. He brought life to everyone through band. It was what he seems to have loved to do most and what he devoted a large portion of his life to the doing with the people that he loved. Um, I feel blessed to have known him for the small time that I did. Um, but I can tell that he clearly made an enormous impact in all of your lives, um, as well as the lives of all the people that he taught and marched with. Um, so I guess to conclude, thank you all for, uh, for coming and discussing and remembering Tom with us. Um, I think if there's maybe one last nice thing to, to leave it on, uh, Tom will always be with us on this podcast because Tom's voice is memorialized in the intro theme of the song. Um, I believe right before uh, Jackie would announce the episode and say, hello, everyone, or however she starts every episode, uh, I think Tom is the last voice in the intro, and I think he says, I'll see you at the show, or... <laughs> something to that effect that's so, perfect to tom we will all see you at the show and i'm glad to have been there with you thank you all for coming go practice <laughs> and we'll see you at the show